0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons in entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers.
1: And I'm Sam McRoberts.
0: And today we're going to talk about seven ways that entrepreneurs think differently.
1: And let's face it, man. We we really, really think differently. At least, at least some. Uh, oh yeah. There's just, too, Yeah. There's 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 so much in entrepreneurship because really that's what entrepreneurship is. It's instead of taking things at face value and accepting the way they are, it's trying to change change things around you to fit what you want. Oh man, what's that? What's that quote? I'm gonna to have to look up this quote real fast.
0: <laughs> All right, yeah. I, I, while you're looking that up, I I think entrepreneurship is a mindset. It's even a lifestyle. It's the way you approach problems. It's the way you you approach challenge. Got it. You you say not only how can I solve this challenge? Well, when you when you approach a problem or a challenge, you say I want to I want to solve this not only for myself, but <laughs> how can I solve this for everybody else and make some money I, while I do it you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So this, this quote that like perfectly embodies this and it is the, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore all progress depends on the unreasonable man, George Bernard Shaw. That, That, that is entrepreneurship in a nutshell. Like you're not content to adapt yourself. You must reshape the world to your whims. That's entrepreneurship.
0: There's another quote that I think really sums up entrepreneurship well. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to ad lib it here, but it's okay, here it is. It's entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't.
1: Nice. I like that.
0: I love that one.
1: Yes, and I and I've heard that repeatedly in Silicon Valley. Like you are you're essentially front loading. You know, what would have taken somebody normally a full 40-year career, you are cramming in and doing it high speed over the course of 10 or less.
0: So that you can maximize the rest of your life.
1: Yes, exactly. So that brings us to number one, which is challenges and frustrations are seen as opportunities. And I think this is key because a lot of people, when when they run into a roadblock or they feel frustrated, they give up. They walk away, they do something different, they ignore the problem. Entrepreneurs don't do that. They look at things like challenges and frustrations as business opportunities. And it's exactly what they are. Because businesses and money are made as solutions to problems or challenges. Like That's what you're doing. Somebody is willing to trade. When you work, you are trading some of your time for money. Money is a store of the time you've spent that you can then exchange with somebody else for whatever whatever they do to earn the same sort of value right so as a business you are trying to create something that somebody else is willing to trade a little bit of their life force for and usually that's in the in the by way of solving one of their problems or giving them something that they want to have so if you see challenges and frustrations as opportunities now everything you run into becomes a potential business opportunity which is
0: awesome yeah and this is this is how i created my current business, email analytics. This is I I saw a problem as I was running my marketing agency over the last nine years. And the problem was I have remote employees. I don't know if they're being active and productive or if they have enough to do or if they don't have enough to do. Most of their work happens over email communication. So if I only had a way to visualize their email communication, I could answer these questions about whether they're being productive and whether they need more work and so on.
1: There you go. Scratch your own itch.
0: Tool didn't didn't exist, so I created it, and so that's what it is. And yeah, so it was born of a problem. So number two would be we see competitors as research subjects, and so we talked about this a little bit on, I guess, on our episode of survivorship bias. But essentially, what we want to do is learn from successes and failures of our competitors. We can also look and look at companies that succeeded or failed. As well in in sort of learning from them, but we see them not as a challenge, but as a learning opportunity. Is that how you would kind of would you see it that way? Would you uh, categorize it that way, Sam?
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think I think you could even expand that out to say that entrepreneurs see virtually everything as a learning opportunity. You're maybe more curious than normal, and you you look at things in a way that you. That many people wouldn't. Somebody sees a light switch, and you see, well, why? Why is a light switch there? Why is it at that height? Why is it shaped like that? Could I do it differently? Does it have to look that way? Like everything, everything becomes a research subject. Not really just competitors.
0: I like that. Yeah, you see opportunities. You see, you see things in different ways, essentially. So,
1: number three, entrepreneurs tend to see struggle as the moat around success. And by that I mean they realize that all of the best things are going to take effort and they don't assume that if things are getting hard that means they're doing it wrong and they need to walk away. Every kid who's raised on video games, I think will get this. And if that wasn't your childhood, go download a game called Cuphead, play that for an hour, you'll understand. Oh yeah. And I think this this applies in both physical and mental domains. And entrepreneurs understand this in spades. Like in fact, I would go so far as to say if something is difficult, the more difficult it is, the more value there is probably going to be in pursuing it. Because that means there will be very, very few people willing to push through the level of pain and difficulty to win. And that's that's what you want. That type of moat, a moat that blocks out the weakest of of human wills is a very powerful moat.
0: It is. and And as a matter of fact, you actually start to appreciate that moat once you get to the other side of it because you look back and you realize this is a barrier to entry for competitors. <laughs> you know, if I've made it to the other side but it's really hard for other people to make it over here, I'm now in a, a more exclusive group. Yes. And it's harder for people to come in and take my, you know, and and steal my my fruit <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: Like to be fair, humans evolved for efficiency. We've talked about this before. before. And Unfortunately that often is that often manifests as laziness. We want things to be easy and if they're not sufficiently easy we walk away. So really this is a moat to any form of mastery, physical, you know, music, anything, anything. There's going to be a moat, some struggle to gain mastery and I think the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset is seeing that struggle not as a bug but as a feature.
0: Agreed. Number four is perfection is the enemy of progress. This is one that I struggled with actually for a while, but I had to accept this early on in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, So some people stop or they don't even start because they feel like they can't make something perfect. But- Fuck perfection. Exactly. (laughs) The, The problem is when you focus on perfection, you don't get something done. And I think Sam, you were telling me once about how you know, the little the extra effort you spend on that little five percent to get something from ninety-five percent to a hundred is just not worth the effort that you often will spend to get there on the return you're gonna get. And it's it's yeah, very I, true.
1: And that like, yeah, you may spend Let's say something takes you a 1,000 hours to get to the 90th percentile, right? You're better than 9 out of 10 people at it. Let's say it takes another 5,000 to get from 90 to 95%, and another 4,000 to get from 95 to 99, right? Like, yeah, at this point, you could probably close that last 1% gap, but it might take you 10 or 20,000 hours to do it. It's just not worth it. Like, you're already better than the vast majority of humanity at that thing. It's okay. You can stop. And I would actually recommend that people exchange in their mind the word perfection and simply replace it with excellence. Because excellence isn't a destination. Excellence is a process. It's a tier at which you operate.
0: I I like that. And the other advice that I would add to this one is just focus on improving or making progress every day or, or whatever your increment of time is. For me, it's daily progress. And in a previous episode, we talked about um, productivity hacks and don't break the chain. This is the Seinfeld, Seinfeld productivity hack where you every day you put an X on the calendar you know, for to signify that you did a thing that you wanted to do. Just focus on doing that. Make progress every single day and that progress will compound over time and you will get better and better and your product or service will get better and your business will grow. But yeah, yep. don't don't pursue perfection it's most, it's usually not worth it
1: number 5 big things are made from small components i think there's actually there's actually two ways to think of this now i i was raised in the mormon religion and i still remember one of the one of the scriptures that gets quoted a lot there is by small and simple things are great things brought to pass I think that's one interpretation of this, which is sometimes very small components can have a radically outsized impact on the final result. So that's one way. But the other way to think of this is every large problem is composed of small problems. You can always break a big thing down into smaller things. And it's often easier to tackle a big problem in small pieces than it is to try and just overcome the big problem. And I think this is something that entrepreneurs excel at, which is not only identifying how to break a large problem down into small, easily consumable pieces, But also how to identify which of those smaller pieces are going to have an outsized impact on the final result. I think this was something that Steve Jobs was particularly good at, which is understanding not only the final goal, right, the strategic vision, but also the tactics, the individual pieces, and which of those were most critical, a lot of times in ways that other people would never have even considered. And I'll give you one example the color of the original headphones that came with the iPod were white at a time when virtually every other type of headphone was black. The reason being, Steve's perspective, I mean, this might seem stupid, but from his perspective, hey, look, everybody else is wearing black headphones. So anybody with these white ones in, instantly, it instantly sets them apart. And when people come to associate that with the iPod, they're going to see people around them start to crop up with this in place. And it's going to drive that desire, that mimetic desire to have what other people are having because it's different. And so like, it was genius. He saw a small component that could potentially have an outsized impact. And he understood how that fit into the strategic vision that that's what this is. Big things from small components.
0: It was kind of like a way of, of having somebody wear a shirt with your brand on it. Yeah. But there was no brand. Marketing was-
1: Marketing without marketing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really was brilliant.
1: Guerrilla psychological marketing. But I, I feel like this is a part of entrepreneurship is just understanding you how to break things into pieces and how to prioritize and identify the value of those small pieces. Cause in some cases you may be able to just discard pieces altogether. Like, Hey, look, this thing seems to be composed of this, these 10 things, but actually like five of these are superfluous. So let's only focus on these other five and be excellent at those. And sure enough, maybe that's all it takes.
0: I like it. So number six would be that it's okay to take risks and make mistakes. And as a matter of fact, failure is not a bad thing. It's actually a learning opportunity. This is something that you have to learn early on as an entrepreneur, because you, you will fail in some way, shape, or form, whether it's the, a business that fails, or whether it's just an initiative that fails, or whether it's you failed at retaining a client. Whatever the failure is, you learn from it and you get better and you improve. Um, and this goes with risks and rewards as well. So, you know, if you take a small risk, there's gonna be a small reward. And if you take a large risk, you're more likely to fail, but the reward is going to be larger in the end. And entrepreneurs know that you have to take risks in order to see success. Um, so don't be afraid to take risks because if you do fail, just remember it's a learning opportunity. It's not a bad thing necessarily. Um,
1: and I'm a fan. Like I'm a fan of trying to hack this one, right? if you can figure out a way to take a small risk and gain a large reward, that asymmetric asymmetric risk reward thing that we've talked about in a few episodes, by all means, man, if you figure out a way to do that, you do that. But in general, if it isn't risky, the rewards are unlikely to be compelling. And there's there's a reason that people who take outsized risks end up with outsized rewards. There's such a huge climate right now of hate the rich hate the rich they have so much more than us you know it's terrible nobody should be that rich man they take big ass risks and they do it all the time like you look at these people most billionaires are billionaires because they have their money in their company's stock and they're taking risks with all of that money literally all the time every decision they make for that company has the potential to zero them out they could go from being a billionaire to having next to nothing because most of their wealth is tied up in the stock of the company they're building that's why that's why they end up rich like that because they take those risks and because they keep their assets in that vehicle to continue to risk them. So, you want bigger rewards, take some big ass risks.
0: Yeah, and so they're taking those big risks but they they've, they've got to be freaking smart to steer, to take big risks and continually win, right? This is not like they're taking a 50-50 risk every time they they play with their money. This is like I'm I'm taking a risk but I have I'm, I'm taking an educated, not an educated guess. It's stronger. A st- I'm making a strategic decision based on my ability or my background or my experience to do X, Y, or Z. And then you follow through on that execution.
1: Of, I mean, a lot of times it's that, but a lot of times I think it's also just they're driven. They feel like things need to be a certain way and they're going to push for it. Consequences be damned. And sometimes it turns out that they were right. And sometimes it turns out that they they made it. they made it right they changed the shape of perception and society and the way things work and yeah they they drove the change that led to th- their success. I think there's a lot of ways to to slice that, but essentially like, you know, I don't I don't think you should be an entrepreneur if you don't have some sort of vision or goal you're driving towards and you you realize this like I'm going to I'm going to find a thing that's hard, I'm going to take risks and I'm going to try and win.
0: Yeah, I agree. And by the way, I think that I think that part of of hacking risk-taking is persistence. I think that the more persistent you are, the more you can increase your chances of succeeding.
1: Times at bat. So this brings us to our last, which is number seven. Staying in your lane is really fucking stupid advice. And you'll hear this, you know, if you're an employee somewhere and you have an idea and it falls outside of your wheelhouse, I think there's a higher chance that you're going to hear stay in your lane, stick to what you know. You also see this in Twitter, in the media, people saying, well, hey, you're not, you're not, an expert in this, or this isn't your your areas. So why don't you stay? Why don't you stay in your lane? And it's ironic because in a lot of cases, really huge advances are made by people who are they're outside their lane. And I've heard I've heard some crazy stories. Uh, there's there's an individual named Martin Rothblatt, and I'd have to look up the story, but I believe it was they had a child. And their child had a really rare illness. And they went around trying to find the best doctors and researchers who understood it to try and solve it and cure it and couldn't. And so they went on and, and just did it themselves. Even though it was outside of their wheelhouse, they just found a way. They, they made it happen, got out of their lane. And I think that is very important. Don't take the advice to stay in your lane, get out of your lane all the time. There's a thing called orthogonal thinking, which is connecting disparate ideas and seeing how things that don't, that maybe aren't obvious could potentially interconnect and overlap. And I think being able to connect disparate ideas across disciplines is actually the key to genuine innovation because most people will niche down into something and put on blinders. They don't see outside their lane. And so they don't see these opportunities And a true entrepreneur knows not only not to stay in their lane, but to keep their eyes open across all lanes so they can see where things might overlap or intersect. And I'd say great things occur at intersections, what I like to call exponential crossroads. Every now and then, certain things will occur, co-occur at the same time, and it's magic. I think like the iPhone is probably a really good example of this. A lot of things happened around the same time that made that possible. Wi-Fi was starting become to become ubiquitous. So was faster cell connection speeds. So was display technology, battery technology, hard drive technology, like a lot of things came together at one time to make that possible. And from there, boom, we have we have what we have today with With smartphones, but it's those intersections, it's those points where things overlap that you see the greatest changes. And I'll end this with one thought in that regard. I think the intersection of 5G technology and the super high speed internet speeds that that will allow and uh, wireless battery technology. I think, I think when you see that, when that happens, I think the one piece really missing 5G should be rolling out over the next couple of years. Wireless battery technology is still possibly a ways out. But when you see that one appear, that's going to be one of these keystones. It's going to be one of those points at which, all right, when that occurs and you can overlap it with the 5G and with all the other things going on, like you're going to see huge, crazy things pop up. So don't stay in your lane. Look across all lanes. See how you can connect things that don't seem like they should be connected. Might find some magic
0: for for someone who's listening and they're wondering how can I how can I take your advice, Sam, on not staying in my lane? Have you got any practical examples or from day to day daily life examples of how how someone might get be, out of their curi- lane?
1: Yeah, be curious. Read stuff that you wouldn't normally read. Uh, follow people on Twitter you wouldn't normally follow. Just go down go down rabbit holes. You have, to, you have to have an open mind. You have to constantly be sampling new things. I think this is actually one of the ways where we go very wrong as a society, which is right out of high school, we push somebody to go into college and pick a niche and narrow things down without having ever sampled anything. You haven't sampled travel. You haven't sampled a variety of disciplines. It's like, all right, you're 18, and it's time for you to start making money and contribute to the machine that is society. So pick your niche and stick with it for the next 40 years. Like That's the dumbest shit ever. I think what we should be doing, honestly, we should probably be wiping out a significant portion of what constitutes current K-12 education and start having maybe three to six months apprenticeships. All throughout high school. So that by the end of high school, somebody has sampled anywhere from eight to 16 different disciplines in areas they're interested or kind of interested in, right? Like come up with this list based on this person's aptitudes and interests and let them sample a variety of things. Not only could they potentially earn money in the process, which they could use to help pay for college when they're ready, but it would give them exposure to all these different areas and they could come out of that knowing so much more and maybe being able to connect pieces they couldn't they couldn't otherwise but if you're past that point i would say just read and explore more much more
0: all right one last question give us give us one book that we should read and i say we as in me but also any any listeners who are wondering how they can what they can do to go get out of their lane today or tomorrow what what book should they read oh
1: boy that's hard one of the most recent that has crossed my my desk is The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. And I forget who his co-author was. It's slipping my mind. But that talks about a lot of disparate future technologies and how they're going to potentially affect Our future, I think that might be a good place to start. Getting yourself immersed in a number of different technology verticals, and not even just technology—biology, metallurgy, science, physics—that book covers a lot of ground and could expose you, I think, to more than you might normally be exposed to.
0: Cool. I'm also—I also just got to plug your book, Sam, which is called Screw the Zoo, which people can find at (laughs) Screwthezoo.com because that—that will uh, get you out of your lane as well and, and teach you to think about things differently. Just the way entrepreneurs think, honestly. It really is a look into Sam's mind.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's less about business and just more about, you know, the age old adage of know thyself. Really, really coming to know yourself, to know the way things are structured around you. I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's probably one of the most valuable books you could read. But, you (laughs) know, your mileage may vary.
0: (laughs) Well, I've read it and I, I, I found it fascinating and insightful. So, um, I guess that covers it, Sam. Um, hey, if you've if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, as always, hit us up on Twitter. Shoot us an email, theentrepreneurcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to chat with you and hear what you think about the, the podcast, this episode, any other episodes that you've heard.
1: And as always, you know, if you can go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review and share this with your friends, that helps us a lot.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys. See you next time.